Welcome, adventurers. This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your host, Emmy. And I'm your host, Remix Sakura. And this episode is the first of what we hope to be a few episodes covering the Eorzean city-states. So for all of you seafarers out there, we are focusing on the people of Limsalaminza. <laughs> Although, uh, judging from Remix's affinity for Melvib, it's probably just going to turn into the Melvib Blip has been show. Yeah, I make no apologies. <laughs> Yeah, in our in our first episode, we introduced everybody to the world and the community of FF14 RP. But next in our series, we want to go into some what we like to call character centric lore and analysis, and hopefully getting our listeners to know the characters on the level that we do. I hope so. This will definitely be a bit of a an eye opener for me because I'm not all that familiar with Limsa to begin with. So this will help me get to know Melvib a little bit more. <laughs> and I'm just I'm just waiting to get to Ulda too. But first yes, off, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is a place that's near and dear to my heart as a role player. I love this quote from a 1.0 NPC that describes Limsa Laminsa as a filthy cesspool overridden with pirates and pillagers, wenches and wastrels. That great place, huh? <laughs> For sure. Can't, can't lie. It's, 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 it's pretty accurate. Thinking about the character of Limsa Laminsa, of course, it's, it's the city of pirates. And it's a place where, first and foremost, people love their freedom. Much is talked about about how much they value their freedom. The other side to this, of course, is that as free spirits, they're often lawless spirits. And... In my role play research, when I tried to go into what is the what are the structures of Lumenson society and government, there's really not a lot of them. It's a rather free society, you could say, in the sense that it's kind of li- libertarian. There is not a lot of government. There's very very small government, and entities are largely independent, like pirate crews, guilds, and businesses. But on the converse side, there's this aspect of it being like a military state because the maelstrom is pretty much, as I could find, the only government entity to be seen. There is no law creating entity. There is no elected group of officials of any kind. Basically, the admiral is in charge, almost like a military dictatorship. It's, it's certainly benevolent and people still do enjoy a great degree of freedom, but basically the Maelstrom and the Admiral are the government. And that's pretty much it? That, of, what, of what I could find. Um, we know that the Maelstrom has only been sort of revived in Limsa for um, a short amount of time since the war with the Garleans uh, started. So b- before that, we, we get a little bit of the, the flashbacks um, in 1.0 where there was an admiral, but uh, the Maelstrom had not been reinstated. And, you know, the, um, there were entities like Knights of the Barracuda and different, the, the sort of like the military existed. Um, but, th- but that's about it. So there wasn't a whole lot of... 
there never has been law enforcement but just it's a very very loosely structured society and and we were actually talking a little bit about this before the show where we were talking about if there was a place in society or what the place in society was for a lot of these pirates who occupy the waters around Limsa Limsa Mm-hmm. And from there, we kind of moved on to, like, what a citizen was of Limsa. And at the end of the conversation, I think we came to the conclusion that it's really, really hard to tell. Yeah, there are a lot of unanswered questions, for sure. A lot of details missing. I hope we can get a lot of those details as as the main scenario goes on. Yeah. Or in that new lore book Ooh, that's coming yeah, out. Ooh, I have heard about that. <laughs> Do you know when that's coming out? I've heard a little bit about it, that it is coming out, and that hopefully it's going to be pretty long. But do you know when that's coming out? I heard that it was going to be around 300 pages, and I also heard that it was going to be released around October. But I really, really hope that they don't sell it at first at FanFest because then FanFest is going to turn into LineCon because I will light it, wait online for that book. Yeah, I will too. <laughs> yeah, I hope they do pre-orders or maybe they sell it afterwards. Maybe they take pre-orders at FanFest and then it gets it gets shipped to you. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. But it'll be coming out around the time of FanFest. Yeah, I which, think they, they meant for it to coincide. By the way, for any of our listeners... <laughs> Even though we're only two episodes in here, if you happen to see us at FanFest, we will be there. I don't know if you'll be able to recognize (laughs) us, but yeah, we will be at FanFest. Weren't we planning on putting our NPC um, character names as the characters on the name tag? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) That was the plan, and I, as far as I know, I'm planning on sticking with that, so... So anyway, Limsa Limsa, right? Right. Right. After our little... What's digression. It I can't think of the word. Yeah, digression. Exactly. Yeah, so so because there is so little government and so little formal structure, you have to think about how does the society even function? How do people just go off from, you know, constantly killing and robbing each other? Well, that does happen a lot, for sure. But... One of the arguments that people make in, in support of, li- of libertarianism, even though this is not something I'm, I'm, you know, endorsing specifically, it's something that I'm observing in the character of Limsa. But, you know, it's sort of like the idea of karma. If you are a good person, people will know you to be a good person and they will good, do the good things back to you. And if you do bad things, people will, the punishment will not come from laws or being put in jail, but be, by being ostracized and treated badly by your fellow human. That's the sort of, yeah, that's the sort of social contract that, that it runs on. You know, in addition to this, I mean, they, they do accept the leadership of the admiral as sort of, sort of a social contract thing by understanding that everybody is served for the greater good if there is actually a leader you know, someone that they ha- do have to respect and that they do put in power <laughs> through a rather interesting little contest, which we'll get into. <laughs> we'll get into that you a know. little bit later, but... Yeah. So the Admiral has to be someone that has the respect of the people. You know, they aren't elected, but they have to have the respect and earn it. And 
they rule through, you know, charisma and maybe even a little bit of fear. And here's the thing. Because the Admiral is chosen in this way, and it's not an election or anything, the people do have this sort of, should I say right? They have the ability to be able to overthrow them. Yeah, uh, technically. So uh, if they don't, if they don't exude sort of confidence and charisma, they, and they don't have the support of the people, then they can always lose their title. Yeah, through uh, through a knife in the back. Exactly. Most <laughs> I was trying to be a little bit more uh, civil in that, but but yes, yeah. they can they can get get uh, assassinated. Yeah, or it is a tough things job. Things like that. Yeah. It's it's a job for life if you can, you know, live long enough. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are aspects that make me think that it is somewhat of a dictatorship also because th- not only can sort of the rule of law be enforced informally by the sort of co- code of ethics or karma, but the Maelstrom does have entities like the Yellow Jackets, which are kind of like a police force that we see roaming this around the city around Linosia and the road guild quest also goes into what might happen to you if you don't follow the code of rules or the, the thieves code mm-hmm. or that informal code of law they, they will come after you it's not completely you do something bad and then other people won't like you because the government well the governmental structure I won't say it's the government in particular but that sort of structure that's taking up a sort of government position will do something in order to to say hey don't do this if you want to stay in our society yeah there is an um a degree of enforcement of rule of law by force mm-hmm. and who's in charge of all this these sorry pirate lawless sods admiral morova blue went and I'm really, really, really going to try to get her name pronunciation right. I know it is really important, <laughs> but I, I'm i not used to speaking so much. Like, this is the first time when I've had to say her name out loud constantly. So so bear with me, everybody. Yeah, the, the thing about names, especially within the game, is that there are a whole bunch of different ways that people pronounce them. So yep. even if you do make a mistake, at least in, in my books... As long as I know who you're talking about, you're probably good to <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Marola, she's my muse. And it's, it's interesting. What I'm not sure if anybody has the same experience when they decide that they're going to roleplay a character. But I, I kind of feel like I didn't choose to play her so much as she chose me. Is that a, is that a weird thing to feel? But when I when I first started getting into the the story and and lore and everything, and I became particularly interested in the Eorzean Alliance and how they they they're such great characters and how they work well together. For some reason, Morovo was always the one who was like popping up up into my head and like making comments. And like from from then on, it it, it seemed like like there was a version of her almost growing in my head. Yeah, I I don't think that's strange. I, I it's not <laughs> what happened to me, but. Mm-hmm. I can definitely imagine that happening. And, I mean, she's a very, very popular character. 
because she had everyone who, who doesn't love a badass with a gun, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely I liked her from the beginning of playing the game, even though when I when I wasn't super into character and story, I, I liked her. I liked her, too. And actually, she was when I started with my first character, I did end up joining the Maelstrom because of her. Yeah. Oh, now, later yeah. On, later on, my character joined the flames, but that's a different story. Uh, it's okay. This is the, the thought that counts. Yes. And I do. Yeah. I do still really, really like Melvip as well. Yeah. And once you get it, once you start to get down into some of her deeper character traits, she's very, very, very interesting. And I think one some of the reasons why I love to play Melvip as an RP muse. Probably my favorite reason would be that I believe that her character is so different in her on-screen and off-screen persona. What I mean by that is that whenever we see her, she has has one type of personality. She is the strong, like, fearless, iron-willed leader, always has a plan, doesn't back down, isn't afraid to confront people, and that's, that's that's pretty awesome, but... Then you learn that she has a history of a, being a pirate. She, and, you know, she grew up in this society. And then you, you look at the average Lemonson pirate and you're like, well, these are like loud and brash and crude and lewd and drunk people. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> and then you think to yourself, like, maybe behind the scenes when nobody's looking, when she doesn't have to be you know, the Admiral, when she doesn't have to be in the in the position of Admiral, maybe she's just like them. Maybe she's just as loud and crude and drunk and lewd. I can see that. So, <laughs> you know, like like when the cameras aren't rolling and, and nobody's looking or, or maybe when she's around her, she's among friends like that. That's like the real her, and the you more, know? you know, fun, happier part of her. Yeah, and I was just thinking, I think it was the culinarian quest or something, something like that it was some kind of quest. That did explicitly say, like, she cannot have alcohol during yeah, official yeah. <laughs> meetings. So that definitely suggests that she does, like... Yeah. She does, she like, She is a spirits. drunk. I mean, <laughs> she is, she is like, a, a sea wolf pirate. And I I, um, I I pulled up the quote that you're referring to. Level 40 culinarian quest. You go into the Bismarck, and you're asked to make some food for a diplomatic meeting. And the woman says... At the Culinarian's Gold, as a woman of the sea, the Admiral drinks liquor like most folk drink water. But the same cannot be said of her guests, hence the afternoon tea as opposed to, say, a dinner banquet. And then you're asked to make um, some tea and pastries. (laughs) That (laughs) sounds like a dish more suited for Nanamo. Not not so much Melvin, but that's what she's going to get in this case. Yeah, the the quest implies that, that she's not allowed to daytime drink. Because the consequences will be bad for diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, she definitely would not be a very good role model for children. No, no, but I, I don't know. I think that other than her uh, crude drunkenness, I think that she's a great role model and I admire her a lot. Yeah, she's because I admire. she's a good leader, I think. Like, I think all the leaders are, are good at what they do. And it's kind of neat to look at the contrast between Melvib and people like Kane Sena or Nanamo or even Raban. Yeah. Um, it's it's just really neat to look at. I know. That's why the Iorzin Alliance are my favorites. They're great. 
<laughs> they are great. Yeah, but I, I I mostly admire Rova for her confidence and her ability to just not give any fucks. <laughs> that's something that we, that's something we can all aspire to. <laughs> so so some of the other character traits that I, I think that people may not be aware of when you know when they're not a role player like me and 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 have a really vested interest in saying this. Yeah, I wanted to share some so come some of that deeper characterization. And because you know when you when you just someone being a badass, it's it's cool, but it's still very very one sided. So a lot of a lot is also said about her stubbornness and iron will and being unwilling to uh, to compromise and being unwilling to admit any kind of fault. We see a couple of scenes where she kind of has a little bit of a row with Yashola because Morova completely defends the uh, the Maelstrom's aggression against Kobolds and Sahagen. Even though Ishola is like, well, this is kind of the reason why we have these primals. Maybe he would just stop. And he's like, no, we, we have to do this because we have to defend ourselves and, and stuff like that. And to me, this it, it isn't just stubbornness. It's patriotism and duty for Limsa. Like she is a leader and she has a lot on her shoulders. So she has to be willing to do anything for their sake, do whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever in her mind she thinks is the best thing to do, even if other people would consider those things immoral. Basically, you know, she's very ends justify the means. She does what has to be t- done for the sake of protecting and preserving Limsa and nothing can really stand in her way. And the thing is, she has to live up to her own standards first, not anybody else's. If she believes it's right, she really does not give a fuck what anybody else thinks is right or wrong. Yeah, which means... That's, that, oh. that's her iron will and that's her stubbornness. Yeah, and, and that means th- there will be people who oppose her and she's going yeah. to have to fight that back. But that's sort of what being Admiral is. It's something that I'm sure she's prepared for. Something that she knew was going to come from the time that she she entered the Trident. Um, yeah. And so it, it was just part of that job. Very, very much so. And another thing that comes to me when I think about why she would... Um, like, why would she develop this sort of personality in the first place? And we have to remember that Merwa grew up in pirate society. Her father... A man named Bluefist, which you might have guessed from uh, her surname because uh, the sea wolves have this patronymy. He was a pirate as well. And he was the captain of a crew called the League of Lost Bastards. Now, we don't know a whole lot about that upbringing, but it's fair to say that growing up in pirate society is going to mold you into a pretty hard person. It's a hard world. And I think that it's got to be worse for a young woman. You know, there there is definitely evidence that the pirates the pirate society is misogynistic. One is because you don't you don't actually see a lot of female pirates like NPCs hanging around. Um, two is because there is that act there is a pirate crew um, entirely of females, the the Sanguine Sirens, and they also complain in their NPC dialogue of misogyny of of not being taken seriously and you know you you really wouldn't need to have an all-female pirate crew if females felt accepted in pirate society so she's a young woman kind of being trained by her dad for this job we we assume and 
wherever she goes, she's going to find people that doubt her and don't respect her just because she's female. And, you know, just like in the real world, when, you, when you're faced with these kind of things, like the only way to succeed, like as a woman in these posi- positions is to just be 10 times tougher than all of the guys. Just completely show them up and and like having an extremely thick skin and the thing about being a bit being stubborn and not admitting you're wrong is probably related to the fact that that she grew up feeling that if she ever made a mistake that she ever admitted fault then her many many detractors was would immediately just use that to tear her down so like admitting fault to her is like is is like is almost like a death sentence like it, it, it could, it could undermine her entire leadership. It could all come crashing down if she admits a mistake. That's that's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think of it as she's exactly the the person that she needs to be to gain respect in pirate society in Limsa Laminsa, and in many ways, she also grows up to be exactly the kind of person that do would do well as an admiral yeah she she does do well as an admiral and i think it's it's interesting to see how she was shaped by that sort of cutthroat society yeah it's a it's a very physical society if you think about yeah. it yeah and the, the the sad truth is it's probably you know because there are so many rugeden in in Limsa, in that pirate society, you know, it, it's probably a society where, where strength that has a lot of value, like that that physical strength. Poor, poor I mean, they're, they're <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are there are a lot of lawful pirates too, but I, but I want I wonder if that is a factor, you know, because it's it's like you know they're represented by the, the sea sea wolves, you know, as the archetypical pirates. And even even Melvib's second in command, I'm sorry, he's a Rogadin too. Yes, yes. Or, or Rugadin, rather. Rugadin? Rugadin. Okay, Rugadin it is. <laughs> yep. And I, I, I kind of wish we knew more about her past. Um, all we know, besides that uh, her father, Bluefist, and the League of Lost Bastards, was that they got into a bit of a scuffle with the Dread Pirate Mistbeard. <laughs> Doesn't seem like to be a great idea. Um, there was a battle at Bloodshore near Costa del Sol in Eastern Linosia where the two crews headed out, a bluefus was killed, um, Merovib, the, um, there's conflicting reports as to whether she actually took over the League of Lost Bastards or just continued uh, pirating um, with another crew, but we know that she had a, a successful career as a pirate and had a, not, a lot of notable accomplishments um, up until the time when she decided to give this up to join the Trident, right? Mm-hmm. So now's the time where we talk about the Trident. Yeah, when I when I first heard about this, I, I could hardly believe that Limsa Laminsa actually elects their leader based on a boat race. I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> believe that either. And the reason why is it just seems like you could have any sort of background whatsoever. You could be yeah. the most power hungry, money greedy. It doesn't yeah. matter what you're going to do for the Laminsans person, but if they win, they become admiral. And the thing about this race (laughs) is there are pretty much no rules. You can sink ships, you can kill people, and it's all fine because you got into this. You got into this mess in the first place, you should have expected it. Yeah, 
it's it's funny. It the, it's almost like the trident is meant to elect the kind of person that Lamincens want as a leader. They want someone cutthroat. They want someone who will do whatever it takes to win. That is ruthless. Yeah, I can see how those would benefit the society, though. Because yeah. you want somebody who's able to defend themselves in times of war. You want somebody who is going to be able to find ways to make the society <clears throat> be better as it is. Have that sort of creativity and the ability to think on the fly. Yeah, crafty. Exactly. So I can see where that race is coming from. I still think it's crazy, but I kind yeah. of get where they were coming from when they came up with this whole trident thing. <laughs> yeah, it, the thing that stands out to me the most is that more than anything, they want their leader to be one of them, i.e. a sailor and a pirate. Mm-hmm. Somebody who yeah. understands the people, too. Yeah, someone who, someone who is one of them. Though actually, it's kind of funny. Because wasn't there like a sort of takeover that happened at some point? Yeah, so we we actually find out that in in 1562, in the year in which the flashbacks of 1.0 take place, not the main scenario of 1.0, uh, there was a fellow named Stallman who was the the right hand man of, of a previous admiral, and he attempted a, a hostile takeover in that year within the context of those flashbacks where he had his admiral assassinated, but. Instead of actually becoming admiral and being able to rule everybody, he was actually ostracized and ends up quite uh, poor and downtrodden by the time you see him later in, in more current 1.0, which is in 1572. So there is actually, you know, there is a sense of honor, perhaps. You know, they, they don't want someone who's treacherous. Maybe they want someone who, who's ruthless but not treacherous, like who is going to betray their people that they've, you know, that they've promised to serve, you know. So they they, they have they have morals. L- Lamentons they have morals. <laughs> yeah. So I have to wonder to myself, what exactly is Merovib's motivation for entering the Trident? Why does she? Why is she willing to give up this very successful life of piracy to go and become a politician? Right. So a lot is said about how she has a dream for a better Limsa. And I would love to know more about this. But but what's very, very obvious is that she sees that the society cannot function on piracy alone. Uh, you know, piracy is not producing. It is it is just stealing. It's not it's not even really consuming. It's just taking from others rather. And, you know, it's it's a sort of economics that's that's you know, not only very dangerous, but very dependent on others. You have to steal from the producers. And, you know, how, how can a country really run like that? Maybe in more peaceful times, when there aren't Garleans and primals and, and calamities going on, maybe this can kind of sort of work in that in that very libertarian way that we talked about. But clearly with these new impending threats, some, some reform has to happen. Uh, you know, it has the limbs elements that has to be able to stand on its own and has to be strong and has to have real societal infrastructure, even if that's off the sea. So when you start a character in Limsa, you see a quest that goes into the difficulty of getting former pirates to do real work. 
you go to Summerford Farms, <laughs> where the the former pirates are being extremely lazy at you know their their farm work, and then you have to do it for them. Yeah, the Warrior of Light, Janitor of Light. The Warrior <laughs> of Light is now the Farmer of Light. Yes, <laughs> the Errand Person of Light. So, so you know, it, it it's clear that you know what society doesn't need is more pirates. They need fewer pirates, and they need societal infrastructure and they need to become uh, self-sufficient and it's also especially noted that there are shortages of food in Linosia yeah so yeah farms right people do need to eat I I wonder where they got all their food before they they just steal it you know from poor farmers but um, it was actually the the settlement of Linosian ter- territory by uh, Lamincens that starts this trouble with the Kobolds and, and the Sahagin. Because th- there was a treaty with the Kobolds that said, basically, um, the land of Linosia belongs to you. You know, the sort of the land part of things, you the Kobolds. And we, the Lamincens, are going to stay on, on the, and the city, which is more, more like made up of islands, and we're going to stay on the sea. But then they figured out, hey, actually, we do need land because we need uh, to farm. And so they they break this treaty and they go to settle on Linosian territory, make these different settlements. And of course, they they get the aggression of the Kobolds. And this is kind of what, you know, what Ustola is referring to. And, you know, she doesn't think that it was right that they did this, that they invited this. But, you know, to Marova, it's kind of like, well, people need to fucking eat, you know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) she's she's doing what needs to be done. Not what is morally right. Like she like, you know, morals are not how she makes her decisions you know it's it's all based on like the real world like pragmatism yeah that's that's kind of what i really like about the city states is because what she is doing isn't positive to everybody so everybody's got their own sort of problems and their own shortcomings and especially depending on if you have a character who your character is allegiant to and from what perspective they're looking at it those leaders can be viewed as negative people. Because when I started yeah. the game, it seemed like the the leaders, despite Alphano sort of grumbling about about this content of the speeches, it seemed like the leaders were great. These leaders were, you know, perfect paragons of great leadership. But as you get to go through the story a bit more and you get to know them better, they become a whole lot more multidimensional. And a whole lot more flawed. Sometimes, for sure, for sure. sometimes those that lack of moral regard, um, that can work against her. And I think that's really, really neat. And so it's it's great character development. Yeah, she can be very controversial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been mentioned a couple times how ironic it is that Mrovib is restricting piracy. When she comes from a pirate background. But like we've been saying, you have to restrict piracy because the the society can't run on piracy alone. And, you know, it sucks that pirates are being made to do other jobs. Maybe, you know, maybe kind of, you know, we don't know how much choice they have in the matter. We don't know if it's if it's against their will or not. But think think of it this way. Merovib also had to make that same sacrifice. She had to give up her life as a pirate in order to become a politician. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think that that's really what she saw herself like doing in life? She probably feels you know, No, she's the doing same. that, you know, again, because she does what she needs to do. It's not that she's turning on her people in her past, but she has a duty and she sees a job that needs doing and she wants to jump in and do it and join this trident and be the kind of leader that Limb Settlements needs. And yeah, you're, you're definitely right that I think that internally she may actually have some conflict about this. And she actually may miss her life as a pirate. You know, in my head canons, this is certainly true. It's not that she regrets her decision in any way, but but who wouldn't miss that that carefree lifestyle? You know, especially in her youth of just, you know, sailing out and exploring all kinds of new lands. I mean, she did so much exploring around the world to lands we don't even really know about yet. And and now she she like sits in a stateroom and does a lot of papers and has a lot of meetings. You know, and uh, honestly, I, I think of her as as gazing out the window, the bay window of the stateroom and looking out on the sea and just maybe reminiscing sometimes, you know, you have a really bad day. Maybe she thinks to herself, God, I wish I could just like take a boat and just get out of here and and just and just forget everything. But <laughs> to me, I also think it's pretty likely that she still owns a few boats and maybe she does actually escape. Maybe when she can get out of the city. She goes on a little joyride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't help but just think of, of Melvib doing um, paperwork. Yeah. All I can think is just welcome to the Eorzean Alliance because I'm sure that almost everybody else, almost every other Eorzean <laughs> leader, with the exception of maybe Nanamo. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is probably overloaded uh, with paperwork too. <laughs> but, you know, she she doesn't regret it at all and and I and I think that that maybe she was the person that Limsa Limsa needed and maybe nobody else could do it. So, we're not sure uh, precisely when the trident which elects her takes place. It's but I'm going to guess that it's pretty recent to the year 1572 where the the main bulk of the 1.0 story takes place because if you look into the cutscenes and dialogue from here her tenure does feel very very recent and it feels that her uh like her power is really not yet solidified and she still has a lot of really strong opposition and that there are even plans to assassinate her and i won't get into too much of a, of a, of a lore history lesson but you know, there's there's passages where she is making a recruitment speech for the Maelstrom and there, there are hecklers in the crowd calling her some very, very not nice names. And, you know, th- there's a plot from the bloody executioners to assassinate her and install this guy, Hilfir, the, you know, one of the most notorious people in the pirate underworld as Admiral instead. And I'm sure that, again, like, you know, the misogyny comes into play. And, and not only that, but she's enacting these really, really controversial policies, restricting piracy. So she, it, it's just like a firestorm of, of, of controversy and hate that's coming her way. And she, she hasn't yet solidified her power. And, you know, eventually she does, you know, she does, um, the, the Galadian Accord was a contract which was meant to, to sort of bring the pirate crews under the, the, guidance of the maelstrom um this does fail and then it succeeds but at the end of the day it feels like what actually brings uh limbs elements together is the common enemy of the garleans and that also brings them together into the aorzean alliance officially that you know if if they know that you know whether you're a farmer or a pirate or you know a blacksmith or who whomever you are 
you know, if you value your freedom, your freedom will be taken away by the Garleans. So it only makes sense to, to fight the common enemy. You know, that you know, does. there is not much that brings them together formally. You know, it's a very loose, you know, free society. But ultimately, like what unites them is, is coming together to, to fight for their own freedom against their common enemy of Garlemald. That does bring up the question, though. Once the Garlean threat is no more... What's going to happen to Limsa Limenza? <laughs> well, I, I think the assumption is by that time that people will have uh, started to enjoy their, their unity so much that they'll just kind of stick with it. <laughs> I would hope so. Oh. And I would also hope that Limsa stays within um, the Eorzean Alliance. Yeah. Because I'm sure that the between them, um, between Limsa Limenza and Gridania and Ulda. And Ishgard. It seems, yeah, and Ishgard now. <laughs> yeah. I keep on forgetting that Ishgard's part of the Alliance now, and Ishgard, but especially with the first three, it seems like they have this sort of bond between the leaders. Absolutely. I like to think, and so I'm hoping that the same thing will happen with Ishgard too. Um, yeah. But at least for now, it seems like, or I would hope that Limsa stays within the Alliance, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And we really don't know what's going to happen with Ishgard staying in the alliance. Yeah. You know, with It's still new. Who knows what's going to happen are, in the future? Are we going to uh, save all amigo and then there'll be a five city alliance? That would be nice. <laughs> you could just take Ralbon and move him over. No, no, he's just, then... he's going to stay in Ulda. Hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's my vote. I think I would like to. I would rather see Ralbon in, in Ulda stay yeah. there too. Yeah. But he could. He could be a good leader, of Alamigo. Yeah. If, we ever get to Alamigo. I don't know. I I think he will be involved in, in in it, but not. He will. He will stay like in his new home. For sure, in his in his home, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the the thing about the Orison Alliance is the previous to this. It's been an arrangement of convenience. It's been, let's come together because we have some kind of war to fight. You know, it, it's it's something of utility. But what if the Arizona Alliance could become a permanent thing? Like, we don't have to be, you know, fighting an enemy. Like, we feel unity just because we feel unity because we are Eorzea. You know? It seems like they're trying to do that yeah. now, especially with with the Grand Malay or Melee or yeah. whatever you want to say it. With that big fight over in Ishgard. Yeah. It seems like they're trying to make this a whole, a lot more of a permanent thing. Yeah. That, or at least strengthen the bonds between them. So. That's, that would be my, my hope that, that, you know, Eorzea stays united because they feel united. That would be great. Yep. All right. Well, I think it's about time to wrap up this episode. Yep. So now it is time for our little daily tidbits and today's tidbit would you like to start or would you rather I do it? So at the at the end of each show, we want to share a little bit of an experience about our gaming lives, not just as our peers, but as gamers as well. So something interesting that I've noticed on my home server, Gilgamesh, we, we talked last time about how Balmung is known as the hub of roleplay and Gilgamesh is kind of the raid server and, and definitely I've seen and, and talked with role players, but it's, it seemed like a, a much more minor part of the scene. But in the last few weeks, something I've noticed 
is a proliferation of RP free companies. And, and I noticed this because it's a very, very common practice that I would see a lot on Balmung to, to end the name of the FC's tag with um, the words RP. Generally, it would be like two letters and, like, and then dash RP, which would denote uh, an RP free company. And I was seeing a lot more of these just running around Gilgamesh. And, and I would, you know, search, examine, check out the profile. And, and it was it was legit. And I'm like, these are this is pretty cool. I've never really seen this before. I wonder why, if if it's if it's some um, some bias on my part, or, or maybe there is more of a movement to uh, grow roleplay on Gilgamesh. It might be. I do have a question as to why they would have moved over to Gilgamesh, especially because it's not as though Gilgamesh is a smaller server. It's almost always full. Yeah. It's really really hard to get a new character in. So that said, if Gilgamesh is so big, and Balmung is big as well, but Gilgamesh is known as sort of a more raid-focused server. So why are they moving their roleplay-free companies, or starting up roleplay-free companies, over on Gilgamesh instead of Balmung? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's just a kind of question, I guess. But this is something I observed, and I, and I do think it's a good thing that um, the RP community becomes m- more decentralized. Like having, you know, 90% of it happen on one server, I don't think it's really a good thing. Yeah, I think it's nice that they are kind of moving out and you're seeing more people on on other servers who are interested in role-playing. And we talked about the role-play community on different servers. Uh-huh. And so it's nice that they're sort of moving away from everybody on Balmung to more spread out along other servers. Everybody everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, for my tidbit, well, first I'll, I'll start out with an update from my little story experience from last week. So last week I did say that Comcast was giving me issues. As of this week, it's all fine. Woo! So that's great. Um, and while I have been playing Final Fantasy XIV in the meantime, I've been conducting a sort of survey during my roulettes. And so I am in the process of trying to determine which dance is Eorzea's favorite. (gasps) And so far, I haven't done very many of these, but I'm going to continue and I'll probably be updating every so often. But so far, the gold dance is by far in the lead. It's got Mm. around nine votes and the Manderville's got two. Mm. And I also got a vote for the Mikote dance just the default slash dance for male or female is or is it the same no it's different and i believe they were a male okay because the male makote uh default dance looks like you're like a disco fever (laughs) it's pretty funny uh so can i vote for my favorite dance yeah sure what's your favorite it's the bomb dance all right so we've got one for the bomb dance (laughs) then i'm one of the mandervillers the bomb dance is nice. I don't see a whole lot of people going around doing the, bo- the bomb dance because it is one of the dances that you purchase from Mog Station. But it's a nice little dance. I do like it. Well, originally, you would acquire it by doing the Moonfire Fair event. They didn't have it yes- this year. I think it was must have been uh, 2015 that you, you, would, you would earn the bomb dance. But then you couldn't get it anymore. No, no, it must have been. And then, it must have been 2014 because I remember doing the bomb dance at FanFest 2014 because it was my favorite dance. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. So so then 2015, I guess it didn't show up. But what yeah. they did was they put it in Mog Station. Oh, yeah. And now you can buy it for, I think it's two US dollars or something yeah. like that. Two or three dollars. Maybe, maybe we can do a giveaway for our listeners. That would be nice. Where we, we will buy them <laughs> the bomb dance. <laughs> I'll do that. I, I will take. I will take you up on that on that little offer. So, let's see. We record these episodes ahead of time, so one week from whatever the release date of this episode was going to be, you can enter. And what you need to do is, um, what do you think is a good a good task for them to do? I would like them to share. This episode and our first episode, either via Tumblr, Twitter, or Facebook. All right. And if you do that, and then you contact, let's see, leave a message on our Tumblr. Yes. Which is, I am not sure what that is, because I know Remix was the one who made it. Yes. But I believe it's like musecast14.tumblr.com or something like that. Yes. Our website is musecastxiv.com. Same exact thing on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Musecast XIV, one word. All right. So let us know on any of those pages. Yep. And then... Send us the link to your reblog or tweet or Facebook share. And then in the next episode, I will have a drawing and somebody will be getting the bomb dance. <laughs> Woo! Aren't you excited? It's going to be fun. <laughs> It is going to be fun. So this concludes today's episode of MuseCast 14. Be sure to subscribe to us. Share us on, what was it, Tumblr, Facebook, and... Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Yes. Twitter. All right. Sorry, I've got terrible memory. And follow us on those sites as well. Yes. And I'm hoping that by the time this goes on air, we will be accepted to iTunes as well. That would be great. Yep. Yeah. Cross, cross your fingers. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love you. And catch you later, adventurers. See you next time. <laughs>